You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. The word faith here does not mean belief. It does not simply mean trust. The Greek word is pistis. It means loyalty. It means allegiance. It implies belief. It implies trust. But it is bigger than that. A better word for us is loyalty or allegiance. By, or for our ancestors won God's approval by it. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by God's command so that what is seen has been made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. By faith, Enoch was taken away so he did not experience death and he was not to be found because God took him away. For prior to his removal, he was approved since he had pleased God. Now without faith, let's read that together, verse 6. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that, came, that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went out to a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents with Isaac, Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as innumerable as the grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith without having received the promises, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Read this last line with me. For he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises and he was offering his unique son, the one it had been said about, your seed will be traced to Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. And as an illustration, he received them back. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. And he worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, after Moses was born, he was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. 
By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin. For he considered the reproach because of the Messiah. Look at that. Moses considered the reproach because of the Messiah. To be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since his attention was on the reward. By faith he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. You see that? As one who sees him who is invisible. By faith he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn Notice it doesn't say God. Just an interesting point. That the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. And when the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being encircled by the Israelites for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, received the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, conquered kingdoms, or about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith, read it with me, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. That's all good. Like, we like that. Women received their dead. They were raised to life again. Some men were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, in goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. God has a plan for your life. Right? You're never safe except for in the will of God. Unless, of course, you get sawn in two. All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for everybody say it. Something better for everybody say it? Us. So that they would not be made perfect without To the first century hearers, this text would have sounded more like a dramatic sermon. It's as if the author was trying to persuade a group of discouraged Christians to remain faithful. Faithful to the good news of God's promise to make all things new through Jesus Christ as Lord. They heard it, but they were struggling to hold on to it in the face of persecution because of their faith. Adversity, disappointment, unmet expectations, and suffering 
had become their constant companion. These Christians were struggling to remember that God has proven His generosity and faithfulness in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus as Lord. And even when it doesn't look like it, when the facts on the ground say that adversity, disappointment, and unmet expectations and suffering has the final word, the writer of Hebrews reminds them that God is loyal to those He loves and can make the impossible possible. So with all of his emotional and artistic language, the author says in Hebrews 11.1, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen, for our ancestors won God's approval by it. It is faith in the unseen realities that enables the what we call heroes of the past, long before Jesus ever came, that God rewards. He rewards those who seek Him. The author goes on to say, by faith, we understand how the universe was created. By faith, Abel offered good gifts to God, even though it cost him his life. By faith, Noah, who had never seen a boat, built a boat to prepare for a storm he had never knew was possible. By faith, Abraham gathered all he owned to his wife's dismay, headed to a land that they had never seen because God said his name was on the deed. By faith, Moses faced an empire and refused to bow down under the hand of political power because he knew God would set his people free. Name after name, 18 times the author draws from memories of the past to inspire faith in unstable and uncertain times. And as the author goes on, it is as if he gets weary of naming the people when you read it, right? and chooses instead to name the circumstances that only faith can overcome, and it's not pretty. The author says things like, what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about those who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle, put foreign armies to flight. Some men were tortured. Others experienced mockings and scourgings and were imprisoned. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, destitute and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Now, I imagine that the Christians were wondering what some of us may sometimes wonder when we hear that part of the text. How is that supposed to be encouraging? Like, how's it supposed to be encouraging to know that they wandered around homeless and destitute, were sawn in two and burned in stone? I mean, are you encouraged? But if you listen closely to the narrative of Hebrews 11 and, don't, and you refuse to pluck out little verses and hear it in its sermonic form, I think you can hear what the author's trying to say. Faith involves belief. But it's more than that. Intellectual assent isn't enough to overcome adversity, disappointment, unmet expectations, and suffering. Faith involves trust, but it's more than that. It's hard to trust when a good outcome seems impossible. What kind of faith creates such a witness of courage and tenacity? It's the kind of faith that is a pledged loyalty. 
and loyalty to the God who is generous and good, faithful in love, and loyal to the people he loves, even when the facts on the ground say otherwise. These men and women of the past remained loyal to God because they knew he was loyal to those he loved and could make the impossible possible. God had never failed and he wasn't going to start with them. God has never failed and he's not going to start with you. And so what seems to be the climax of this written sermon, he issues a call and it turns into Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And if you'll listen closely, because this comes right out of 11. Begins with the word, therefore. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured a cross and despised the shame and is now set down at the right hand of God's throne. See, Hebrews 11 is often referred to as the Faith Hall of Fame, and we often talk about these people in Hebrews 11 as heroes. They're not heroes. They're witnesses. That's the repetitive refrain of Hebrews 11. They're not heroes. They're regular people like you and me. They're not heroes. We have a hero complex. We need heroes. We need Superman. We need the Avengers. We need power. They're not heroes and they didn't have power. They were witnesses. And what they had seen was so compelling that there was nothing else you could offer that would make them turn away. That's faith. They're a cloud of witnesses. And the author of the Bible says that they are a cloud of witnesses that surround us. And even though they never saw God reveal himself to the humanity in the person of Jesus, and even though they never saw God reveal himself as Jesus and go about healing the hurting and loving the unlovable and welcoming the unwelcomable and dining with the rejected, and be put to death as an enemy of the state by persecution and crucifixion, and then be raised to life for our redemption, this cloud of witnesses who never experienced the fullness of God's promise of redemption proved to us, proved to us by their lives, proved to us that it is possible to remain loyal to what seems impossible because nothing is impossible with God. It's in our story. God is loyal to those He loves, and He loves you, and He loves me. He loves us. And His love isn't like our love. His love isn't fickle. His love isn't fragile. His love isn't frail. Neither should we be. You don't have to be fickle and fragile and frail. No matter what the boots on the ground and the facts on the ground say. I witnessed a rabbi get together with all of the people and invite 500 people in from the community and stand up in this, in this 
boldly proclaimed gathering because he believes in the Yahweh of Hebrews 11. He may not believe in Jesus as Lord, but he believes in the people of Hebrews 11. And he stood up and he stood before and he invited some of us to stand up there with him because we weren't fickle, frail, or fragile because we know God's love isn't. You don't have to be fickle, frail, or fragile because God's love isn't fickle, frail, or fragile. He can do the impossible. The question is, do you trust it? Not just do you believe it. It's more than belief. It's more than trust. The question is, where is your allegiance? To what are you most loyal? By faith in God, who has proven to be faithful, we alongside this cloud of witnesses can pledge to Him our loyalty and run with endurance the race that is set before us, even though the obstacles are great and the distance is long because we know that Jesus is Lord. And when we become witnesses and stop trying to be heroes, maybe then our lives will be worth writing about too. Sister Noah is a Syrian believer. And her family was driven from their home by ISIS. They lost their business, their home, their land, and worst of all, many of the people they loved. And she was asked by a voice of the martyrs worker, Nua, you've lost a lot. Why is it worth it? to you, to follow Jesus. And this is her response. I haven't lost anything. I have Jesus. And when we have Jesus, we have everything. So Nua and her family have chosen to stay in Syria to help build up the church and reach out in love to all the Muslims. And she asks only that we pray for her. And for all those who are learning what it means to have faith in God. When we have Jesus, we have everything. What do you believe? Do you really believe that if you have Jesus, you have everything? I think sometimes it's easier to think that maybe when we're sitting in our comfortable chairs in our lit up room under what we may fear is some sense of, certainly not like it used to be, some sense of safety. But even still, same God who refused to let the people down, people for which we read just a few moments, the same God who knows you best and loves you most. To whom are you placing your loyalty? And you want to know how you know? It's where you're placing your hope. That's how you know. Capitol Hill is not going to change the sicknesses of this world. Calvary's Hill will do that. 
And the sooner that the people of God are led by that reality, the sooner the people of God will be able to stand in the face of any other oppressive notions and injustices that may flow from capitalism. Our hope is in Christ. And every week we gather, that is what we proclaim. Be formed by the bread and the wine, by the body and the blood of Jesus. Be encouraged. Be encouraged by Noah, our sister. Be encouraged by the persecuted church. Just be encouraged. In a society where there is now being cultivated more and more a fear of strangers, a fear of people with brown and black skin, we forget sometimes as Christians that many of them are our brothers and sisters in Christ, their family. So I hope that in light of the ongoing national narrative that goes on in our country, that we as Christians will remember that some of the very people that are being pushed away are family members of this church, our brothers and sisters of the God Most High, our people for which we celebrate the bread and the cup with. They are our brothers and sisters. John and Samuel are celebrating the Eucharist today. And by the grace of God, we get to celebrate it with them. May Christ form us to love them well and to remember them too. Let's do a better job, I'm speaking for me, of being prayerful for our brothers and sisters all across the world. Let's do a better job remembering that this table extends to the far corners of the earth. We are a blessed people. We are a blessed people. Let us be a blessing. Because the God of heaven and earth has blessed, up with, blessed us with life. I try to teach my boy who gets asleep in his big bed in his big room in the upstairs that he was born on third base. He didn't hit a triple. He could have plopped down on planet earth in all places of the world. Whatever reason, the soul that is inside of his body was entrusted to his mom and I who live in Williamsburg, Virginia, in these United States. And as a result of that, he has privilege. As a white boy of my family, he has privilege. And I try to remind him that the thing to do with that privilege is to always remember those who do not have it and to leverage what little privilege he may have or a lot of privilege he may have for the good of others who do not have what he has. He didn't ask to come into our family. He was given to us. It's our job to help him see that when he came into our family and then he decided to follow Jesus as Lord, he was ushered into a much larger family that has much more demands on him than our own. Because following Jesus, it requires a life, not just a moment, because he gave us, a, he gave us his. My prayer is that you'll take the bread and you'll take the cup today and remember the Christ who has given you life and that we will leave tonight compelled and convicted to use our lives for the good of others, to the glory of God.